house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Gary Harden. I'm running for president. I want you to think about the opportunity that we have right here, right now. I've never known a guy more talented at untangling politics so that anyone can understand. It is a gift, and he wants to share that. And all anybody wants is for him to take a stupid photo. He will never understand that. Gary Hart is the man to beat in 88. If we hold ourselves to those highest standards, then the voters cannot do otherwise. Senator, I want to ask you some questions about the woman in your townhouse. Can you tell us how you know her? You can't be serious. No one is staying in my home. There's no need for that. Uh, I, I am serious, sir. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Bus podcast, the only podcast that never went to the jungle, but will always be in that jungle. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File. I'm here, as always, with my polyamorous axe-throwing Senator Joe Reed. I don't see how that's any of your business. What I do, <laughs> just, the, where, where whole... I throw my axe in the woods is none of your concern, <laughs> and the public doesn't need to know about Even it. Even if your axe is, uh, you know, uh, supposed to only go in one direction. Right, if I throw my axe at a different tree than the tree that I have always thrown my axe at, and I have pledged to uh, only throw my axe towards, uh, it's, it's none of the public's concern. <sighs> all that monkey business all that monkey business okay so you are obviously a, a a decent bit younger than i am and i i feel like the gary hart donna rice story <laughs> is even like it's on the edge of my memory like it's it's maybe the last big thing that happened in politics that i have no memory of mm-hmm. um because i remember the Dukakis Bush election. I remember like some of the Saturday Night Live sketches about like the Duke, the debates there. I remember even like I remember like Kitty Dukakis being like in like the tabloids and People magazine for her uh, alcoholism. Don't quote me on that. Maybe it was mental health. Don't yell at me. The estate of Kitty Dukakis. Um. <laughs> Um, but like, I, I, I remember having, you know, vague sort of a, a vague sort of sense of that. And then from then on, everything in politics, I at least have some memory of. I have no memory of the Gary Hart thing, except for like Donna Rice's name being like a name that was sort of thrown around when the Jennifer Flowers, uh, revelations came mm-hmm. about during the Clinton campaign. So this is sort of like an interesting um, boundary line almost in terms of like my awareness of the world back in like 1988. I imagine this is like pure American history for you. Like this is just like this is (laughs) this is as remote to you as like the, you know. Well, I mean, I think it's gas crisis or something. 
I mean, I th- I think for a lot of view, a lot of viewers of this movie, is that this movie had a lot of viewers. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I think that's one of kind of the barriers of entry to this movie, yeah. and less so remembering this happening as it is how it discusses uh this uh yes. american cultural event um we will get into it i'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this movie because you had not seen this movie at a festival or in theaters I didn't. right and that's I what didn't. i thought yeah i saw this at tiff where it you know i think i was maybe the only person i talk to that saw it even though it was... i don't even remember you talking about having seen it and we were living exactly. in the same flat for that festival so like i saw it on like a f- the first friday afternoon so mm-hmm. it was like immediately there were more interesting things to talk about mm-hmm. um <laughs> i remember uh as I'm like leaving the theater, I usually don't stay for the Q and A's. Somebody like mentioned Tully. Uh, we'll talk about Tully. Uh, it, Tully in like the first question or something, and me at the back of the theater is like, "Woo!" <laughs> and like no one else is like. Closed captioning just says together. like brackets, gay voice, "Woo!" Like that's basically <laughs> whenever somebody says Tully. Um, yes, yeah. Well, um, and, and like it was basically, I I pulled up the Telluride lineup for us of this year too because this was almost kind of dead in the water at Telluride yeah. too, which like it's hard for a movie to kind of die at that festival. We'll be kind of looking at a movie that maybe died at a recent Telluride next week. Um, but this, or, or it, it's a, we've kind of side-eyed Telluride. You more than me. I feel like you kind of despise Telluride as a concept. Not as a concept. I feel like people never really diss a movie at Telluride. It takes a lot for that crowd to really well. The diss let is you the know silence. That a movie is not good. The diss is the silence, right? It's it's like if a movie sometimes yeah. If a movie doesn't make an impression at Telluride, that sort of tells you what you need to know. And I mean, Jason Reitman is a filmmaker who's had multiple movies die at Telluride. There's also Labor Day as well, which like people are always forgetting that Labor Day existed. Uh, yeah, this strangely enough is a movie that exists even less than labor day but like i feel like my remembrance of when this movie premiered is like people kind of wrote it off in people who had heard or read the responses out of telluride and it was very ho-hum but then went to tiff they just decided to skip it at tiff yeah yes well yeah i I, there was not a ton of urgency to see this movie and because it wasn't opening until November, like, it's usually... On election day. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that, too. Um, but November, to me, is, like, far enough away that I'll be like, oh, I should see that here at TIFF, because I'm not going to want to wait a couple months to see that. But, like, already there was this sense of non-essentialness to the frontrunner, and Reitman's reputation by then had pretty well for me at least, settled into, yes, if he's working with Diablo Cody, 
know if he's not right like, i mean this year this year we're talking about 2018 well, is like the case proof example and for i it and i definitely like, want to get into that when we talk about sort of the vagueness of purpose of the front runner because i feel like yeah. that's um pertinent there but yeah like by the time this movie even hit that second festival tiff already people were like I only can see so many movies. This one is probably not going to, uh, you know, survive triage. And so it didn't for me, like for whatever reason, I can't remember for the life of me, what it would have been up against that I like chose to see instead. But, um, I, I did see something else. instead. That also could have been, it also could have been a casualty of my, uh, sprained ankle. If you recall, I sprained my ankle walking out of boy erased. And so I'm sure I saw this before you sprained your ankle. Okay. So then I, so then I wasn't going to see it anyway. Cause I definitely remember there were some movies that I'm like, I'm bailing on that screening. I'm not hobbling. See, my maybe ass if you'd just something. gone to tell your ride, you could have a seen this movie and seen boy erased without spraining your ankle. <laughs> I know that's, that's my sliding doors. What would have happened otherwise? Um, although I will say, I mean, whatever it's, we don't have to tell the story once again of me seeing, can you ever forgive me with a sprained ankle and that sort of healing my spirit, but it sort of did. Um, anyway, the medicinal powers of Mariel Heller. Exactly. Exactly. Of, of Lee Israel, of the, the spite, the spite healing of Lee Israel, (laughs) um, uh, really worked wonders for me. We should also tell our listeners we are recording this before election day, so yes. if any darkness has uh, happened, if the if the if the ru- the mood in the room is bad, yeah. we are coming to you from the past. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, we also maybe didn't think about that when we planned this episode. Well, we're doing it more so for Hugh Jackman, um, who's who having who's who also has a, yeah bad vibes coming. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of, bad, of vibes bad vibes on the horizon. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Yeah. We certainly, of course, uh, uh, hope that some things went well on election night. On election night. I'm certainly not naive enough to think that everything went right. well, but like maybe enough things went well that it's not as bad as we had feared. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. Um, I have voted already. I cast my vote. New York State better have fucking pulled it together by the time you're all listening to this because if... i am voting on election day i live a block away from my polling place oh. and that uh has like a, a a lovely uh aspect to my life for some reason and i i like to go to the actual polling place on the day because i'm like it's right around the corner i can have a nice walk i can cast my little vote and uh, you know whatever. my polling place uh in washington heights turns out to be a block away from the subway sub shop that I tend to frequent on my lunch hour, which I didn't realize until I like looked up, where's my polling place? And I'm like, Oh, it's right by the subway sub shop. So like, of course I went, I voted early on the first day that you could vote early. Um, I think I was maybe one of the first people to vote at that polling place because they were still like training people on what to do. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And cast my vote got a nice subway sandwich and uh and made a whole day of it so um 
We should talk about the mailbag before we get too far into it. Oh yeah, listeners, we're uh, we're finally announcing this. We are doing another mailbag this year. We are taking mailbag for the through. holidays. Yeah, Santa's coming down the chimney with your questions, and that's <laughs> our Christmas morning gift. Your Christmas, well, day after Christmas, your hangover gift yes. is us answering your questions. Uh, we will be taking questions through the twentieth. I am going to work on getting some type of Google document thing that makes it easy for you to submit them via Twitter and Tumblr, but you can also email them to us at hadoscarbuzz at gmail.com. You can ask us about uh, what are the type of things we've talked about before, Joe? We've talked about, you know, Oscar history. We've talked about the state of the current race. We have talked about, you know possible future episodes etc yeah we're not doing we're not doing a listener's choice this year just because schedule wise and you know yeah that's not working out but we're still doing the mailbag we we always love your questions you always tend to ask us some really fun ones some really insightful ones and in general we just you know we really enjoy hearing from you so uh yeah get those questions coming in we're gonna have a nice little mailbag for you for the holidays and yeah we love it we love mailbag it. questions through the 20th had oscarbuzz at gmail.com we're also going to be putting a google doc on uh, or some type of document uh, for submitting your questions on our tumblr page and our twitter my name is Gary Harden. I'm running for president. All right, Chris, we are breaking in from our regularly scheduled coverage of Gary Hart's troubled uh, uh, presidential campaign. To talk Mostly about- to say that the primaries didn't go yeah. as bad as we thought. <laughs> exactly. And we want to uh, update our listeners, our wonderful Garys, on what's going on in the Vulture Movie Fantasy League, because it was a big week. First of all... Uh, we locked the gates, as they say on uh, on Mark Maron's podcast. We locked the doors on the 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 league. You're if you're you're either signed up or you're out of luck at this point. So we are good to go, and we are rolling. And we got our first batch of awards points, which is very fun and interesting. For as much as I like love the box office points, the thing about box office points with this game is they depend on when you've signed up. So it's tough right. to like gauge exactly how many points everybody has, but like awards points are going to be the same for everyone. So I'm very, very excited that we got started with the Independent Spirit Awards. I always look forward to the Independent Spirit Award nominations anyway. So like <laughs> this is like doubly good for me. Once again, we got an Independent Spirit Awards where some major category nominees are stuff I haven't heard about yet, which I find very exciting. There's always two or three where it was like, you know, uh, what's this movie? I got to go check it out. Such it was with Best Feature nominee, Our Father the Devil, and and certain things. Solo nominee for Best Feature. We love that. We're intrigued. We're incredibly intrigued. It's not going to matter a lick for the, for the fantasy game, but we're intrigued. Um, no, so the big winner of... Independent Spirit Award nomination morning was Everything Everywhere All at Once, which to me at least sort of justified the high price tag <laughs> I put on it. So <laughs> I feel better. I think the rest of the season is probably going to justify that movie's high price tag. Yes. Just from a hunch. It feels like the ball is now rolling. And obviously, like, 
the Independent Spirit Awards as a bellwether for the Oscars, especially at the nomination stage, are not always one-to-one. There are some of these nominees will probably not get nominated again throughout the season, even from, like, contenders. Like, that's just sort of how it rolls sometimes with the Spirits. But this feels like the kind of momentum that's going to keep going, right? Uh, they were yes. nominated for, I believe it was six awards in total. Um, eight. Seven. No, it's eight. Sorry. I, oh, wow. I, I short-sold it. And Tar it. has seven. Tar has seven. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once nominated for Best Feature, Best Director. All four of its principal cast members were nominated for acting awards. They've now mm-hmm. switched to genderless categories. So there are ten Best Lead nominees, ten Hooray Best feature or Supporting nominees, and five Breakthrough. So we're going from four acting awards down to three acting awards, which I don't love, but it's an imperfect world, and I'm just going to live in it. Um, Michelle Yeoh... It's still progressing forward. Sure, yes. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Kiwi Kwan, Jamie Lee Curtis, Stephanie Hsu, all nominated for uh, in various categories. All, I think, are Oscar contenders in certain ways. I think I could see a path for all of them to get nominated if it really, really goes well on Oscar nomination morning, but we'll put a pin in that. Um, and then <laughs> screenplay and editing nominations. So it's, it was a good day for everything everywhere all at once. And as somebody who picked that movie, I was very happy with it. Uh, you you did pick this movie because it is, you are much higher on the leaderboard than I am. I am sitting comfy at 932nd, I believe. If you're 932nd, you're ahead of me, though, I think, because I'm in, like... Did you only get everything everywhere points, then? (laughs) I think, yes. I think that's that's the case. I was pulling it up right as we got on mic, too. I was like, what rank am I with a a beautiful 132 points sandwiched between a bunch of other people who have 132 points, and if you all drafted the same exact... Uh, team, as I did, I know where you live. You have how many points, did you say? 132. Yeah, you're ahead of me. I have 114. I'm in 1240th place. So, um, but a lot of game to be played. Not a lot of, a lot of game. Uh, you had some nice tar points, though, this week with the Independence Spirit I Awards. had tar points. I had the inspection points. I, I had a very indie spirit friendly very good team. Yeah, the best performers at the Spirit Awards points-wise, Everything Everywhere, which got you 110 points, Tar uh, scored up to 85, Women Talking and After Sun uh, both got 45, and Bones and All. The Bones. Great to see After Sun doing so well. That's the thing. is uh, I, We sort of had a little bit of a mini-eulogy for After Sun on this podcast a little bit ago, and I sort of lamented why it felt like everybody was resigned to the fact that that movie wasn't going to be uh, presence in award season. And now, there's some hope. Again, Paul Mescal and Jeremy Pope, the only uh, male-identifying performers nominated in the lead performance. Let's keep it going. Let's get them in the Oscar lineup. Yeah. That's all I'm hoping for. That would be awesome. That acting, that best lead actor category really could use their presence. Um, <laughs> as you said, the uh, the inspection, 35 points. That was a nice showing. I will say also, this was the place where the ones that I was most interested in were what are like the 
three and two and one dollar movies that were able to get you a little bit of bang for your buck and that were only going to maybe get you bang for your buck here. And I think Emily the Criminal is the, you know, is the story of that one, Mm -hmm. right? Four nominations, Aubrey Plaza, which like I was so certain. There was a few things I was certain of this year. And like there was only so much I could do to capitalize on that in this game. But like I wanted to find a betting market that I could have placed down some money on Aubrey Plaza, Mia Goth for Pearl, and Dale Dickey for a love song <laughs> getting nominated at the Spirits because I was like, it's going to happen. So happy for that Dale Dickey nomination. It was like as soon as Sundance happened, I was like, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to be an Independent Spirit Award because like <laughs> they love her and like with good reason. Should have been nominated for uh, Winter's Bone, is what I say for that. Um, But yeah, Emily the Criminal, really good showing. Pearl, a love song, as I said. Regina Hall and Brian Tyree Henry also got acting nominations for Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, and Causeway, respectively. Um, After Yang got just two nominations, but they were two top category nominations, so that's a cool Mm -hmm. 30 for After Yang, which is pretty cool. Um, And I think a couple that do have some legs, got just five points this week at the Spirits, but Corsage and Santomer both, um, I'm now taking my my uh, cue for how to pronounce uh, Santomer from Taylor Page, because uh, that's how I'm deciding to go for it. <laughs> you, you have a French inflection with I it. I do. Uh, by the way, Corsage and Santomer, who picked both of those for their team? Uh-oh, little Hello. fiver, a little fiver apiece. Very good. Um, so, yeah, that's how the Spirit Awards went. I'm excited that there was a nice sort of spread of points. I'm really kind of thrilled for Bones and All, a movie that, like, is improving in my memory every day. Like, that's one of those movies that's really sort of growing in retrospect for me. So Yeah, I adored that movie. That movie, I don't know. We could end up talking about that movie on this podcast in a few years' time, because I don't know what kind of Oscar prospect it has, but... It's good that it Who got. Who knows? Adapted something. screenplay. Is it? I keep forgetting if it's adapted or original this year. That's like uh, adapted because Sarah Polly has basically got the whole category to herself. I believe. Yeah. 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 Which so, is good. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? The bones could uh, could could endure. The bones could get all of them. <laughs> um. What else do you take away from the Independent Spirit Awards pool wise? Uh, definitely made me, uh, more excited to see, to finally catch up to Emily the Criminal. Yeah. Um, some of the snubs were interesting. Absolutely no nominations for The Whale, which I think everybody knows made me happy. Fail Whale. Hashtag Fail Whale. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, what else? What were the other ones that I thought... And I think it was I maybe... love when indie spirits go their own way, like Andrea Riseborough showing up for this movie to Leslie, yeah. which was not the Andrea Riseborough movie I thought it was when I first saw that Andrea Riseborough was nominated, which I think is a very that is a very true to the Andrea Riseborough experience. Sure, uh, it's not this movie; it's this other movie you haven't heard of. Of course, to Leslie is the uh, incredible true story of Miley Cyrus writing "See You Again," which is uh, 
uh, a very exciting uh, biopic. I like when they limit the scope of a biopic to just a portion of a person's life, and that's uh, the Sundance movie, Palm Trees and Power ugh. Lines, which I don't think either of us really ugh. cared for, did very well. So I mean, it's good to see that yes. they're still, you know, they're not just picking the Oscar fair for these movies, which yes. I don't think that movie even has distribution. Well, and like, um, and Jonathan Tucker, like. That's a worthy nomination. That's a worthy nomination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, wh- he was nominated in uh, in feature, supporting. In supporting. I keep wanting to say feature. And then it got a breakthrough performance and I think Best First Feature. Maybe. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. Yes, Best First Feature. Um, and best for screenplay. Un- ineligible to select for the, for the movie game. Perhaps my, uh, my biases made me blind to it. Also, I should say, <laughs> if we're doing mea culpa, and I should, um, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed was not eligible to be selected for the fantasy game. That's on me, y'all. And if this thing marches towards an Oscar and it's not in the fantasy game, that's egg on my, on my face. And you can all, if my, if my soapbox suspicions about that movie are going to be true, you're not going to, at the very least, I think it's going to end up winning most of the critics awards for best documentary. That that I do think is fair and true. Yeah. Um, so, however, for Oscar, aside from the fact that, you know, previous winners have a history of not even being nominated in the category, I question if you put that movie, I mean, like, not to put it in the most reductive terms, but I'm going to put it in uh-oh. the most reductive terms. Uh-oh, she's getting reductive. I think you put that movie in front of a bunch of rich people and they're not going to get it. Like, well, I just, that's just what I think. One of my favorite movies of the year, All the Beauty of the Bloodshed. <laughs> We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, um, chalk that one up, listeners, to uh, the growing pains of uh, trying this game for the first time. So uh, apologies if you had your heart set on selecting All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. It's a lot of points that are going to be left on the table. I also left Marcel the Shell with Shoes on off of the list, which that was, that's again, that's on me, y'all. Um, we We soldier on. That got like, uh, and the indie spirits love to throw in just a random editing or a random cinema. I know. Which, like, I love that those categories don't just go straight to their best Me picture too. nominees. Yeah, but uh, editing for Marcel the Shell, interesting. Uh, also, shout out all those Fire Island points. Congratulations to Joel Kim Booster on his nomination Truly. for for screenplay. Love you, Joel. That was fantastic. Um, looking ahead, we've got. Uh, probably won't get more awards until the critics awards start which i don't think new york film festival or new york uh, uh, film critics circle has announced their date for when they're going to uh be presenting their awards but it's I'm sure gotta it's a be week soon. away from this episode i i mean they know it <laughs> they're just not telling us <laughs> um but it'll it's usually early december so i think the next week we're going to be looking at whatever kind of thanksgiving week box office points are happening um Devotion opens wide, uh, Bones and All expands wide, and uh, we'll see how, if, you know, what kind of uh, legs Glass Onion has at the box office. I haven't checked the... Uh, it's beating all those movies. Good. It should. At this point. It's fantastic. Netflix <clears throat> really, really, really should have put it in theaters. From in a week. quarter of their theaters yeah. of things like Bones and All and such. Well, it's tremendous. And so. Devotion. Um. Yeah, so look for early December. You'll probably get some uh, New York Film Critics Circle, National Board of Review. Those are usually the two earliest of the critics groups. LA Film Critics will be 
more towards the middle of December, and... I don't... I actually think uh, the M4Gs are fairly early with their nominees, and that's another place I expect Well, they're also playing very coy. The M4Gs have not announced their nomination date as of yet, so... Um, it probably comes out with the magazine, man. They're still going off of the magazine. But yeah, once we hit mid-Dece- uh, mid-December, LA Film Critics uh, announce on the 11th, Critics' Choice nominations on the 12th, and Golden Globe nominations also on the 12th. Y'all, give us, like, space out your shit better. I'm sorry. Critics' Choice <laughs> announcing their award nominations the same day as the Golden Globes. Like, coordinate, people. Like, don't crowd out your press cycles. That's so stupid. Um, no, I don't think that's what they want. I think Critics' Choice probably wants to overshadow the Golden Globes because it's still a question mark of how much people are going to care. I th- Listen, you know I have been notoriously uh, soft on, on the Golden Globes. I think I think the Golden Globes are just going to be back to being a thing. Like, sorry, they just are. Um, and, and here we are. But um, yeah, so those are coming in mid-December and we'll look out for that. And happy, happy participating, y'all. You can check out the Vulture Movies Fantasy League game at moviegame.vulture.com. From there, you can click on a link to the landing page. Right now, we have a fun little module which lists everybody's scores. So go up uh, to that landing page, do a little control F for your team name, and you will find how many points you are, you have, what place you are in. And then if you click on your little team name, it will remind you in case it hasn't burned in your brain, what uh, eight movies you have selected. So we are off and running and it's very exciting. And we're going to send you back to your regularly scheduled a democratic politics. I think Gary Hart can pull this one out, Chris. I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm crossing my fingers. If he can just make it to to the New Hampshire primary, I feel like he's got this. So, all right. Thanks, guys. My name is Gary Hart, and I'm running for president. So the front runner, the front, the runner. front runner. Okay. Does it bother you that this is that front runner is two words in this title? I always tend to want to say like like road runner. Like front runner, like one word. Yeah. See, I always, as I'm prone to do with most things, make it a hyphen. It <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> one word. No, absolutely not. Okay. I don't know why that's my that's my instinct is to do. We could runner. maybe talk off the top here uh, the hubris of naming your movie that you are very clearly trying to put in the award season the front. Yeah, runner. yeah. That's not fun. <laughs> that's not great. Um. Yeah, this movie, we'll get into it on the other side of the plot description, but it just, there's a lot of potential in this movie, I will say, in terms of an interesting, like, there's a lot of directions that this story could have gone that I think could have been interesting. You could have, you know, from a journalism angle, from a politics angle, from like a what might have been history angle. And the problem with this particular film is it sort of pulls a little bit from all of these little angles, just enough to make you sort of wish that it was more about one thing than the other things. And doesn't really take a strong perspective on anything, sort of like walks up to the edge of making interesting observations and then declines to make them, walks up to the edge of asking intriguing questions and then doesn't really follow up on them, ironically, for for a movie such as this. Um, 
and there's a vagueness to it that I don't like. It also just to the sort of vagueness I find incredibly frustrating, especially on rewatch, more so than when I first saw the movie. The vagueness was the dominant impression that I got from this movie as well, where the sort of neither here nor thereness of it. It also just to sort of place it within a context within what was sort of around at the time. There were a lot of these mid to low attention level movies about recent 20th century political history mm-hmm. that had been made around this time. Whereas like Chappaquiddick. Obviously recontextualizing in the aftermath of Trump's election. Yes. I But yes, in some ways and yet in other ways, just sort of telling a political story that, that, people in the audience would remember right we're like right uh, the mark felt sort of felt that way where it's like we're gonna you know tell the story about deep throat and chappaquiddick definitely felt that way um there was the rob reiner lbj movie that nobody saw (laughs) and there was just a general level of disinterest in seeing those stories for i would think understandable reasons but also i think if there had been a really dynamic movie made like the post comes out the year before this and kicks ass and gets a best picture nomination. And I certainly feel like the post should have gotten more attention, more love, more everything. Uh, Even still that got some, you know, enough attention to get a best picture nomination. Right. And it's a really good movie. So like that was at least proof that you could tell a story of, semi-recent political history in a way that contextualizes it within the current like if the post does anything it recontextualizes that moment within that current uh political journal yeah i mean like the post is galvanized by like the current moment and you know the current sentiments and our where we're you know the kind of fervor is like this movie i also think on top of the like lack of clarity on what it's actually trying to say about Gary Hart's failed political or presidential campaign. On top of that being frustrating as a viewer, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's almost moving against the sentiment of the time in a way that I found really like, what the hell is the point of this? Like what is for a lot of movies about politics and journalism around this era being released during the Trump era was enhancement for that movie's timeliness. Yeah. I think with the front runner being released during the Trump era works against it because we've just elected a guy who got elected after his October surprise about sexually assaulting women didn't do anything right like yeah. that. And, and which and, looms large over this movie and probably the intentions with which it was made. Right. It's not like this movie intended to create an apology for uh, the idea that, you know, politicians should be able to do whatever they want to women and we can get elected. Uh, but this is a movie that would have felt a lot whose outrage would have felt a lot more appropriate maybe during the Bill Clinton presidency but also we had we had already started recontextualizing that and mm-hmm. we were in a me too era and we were in a post uh access hollywood tape era with trump and so all of that and so if you're looking at the front runner through all of that 
this idea that like this principled idea that a politician's infidelities and quote unquote womanizing, because I feel like that's like, that was such a buzzword of the nineties. Right. And like, what does that even mean? Um, a politician's personal life when it comes to their sexual exploits shouldn't matter as a matter of principle really felt out of step with what was going on at the, at the time and didn't Mm -hmm. declined to further interrogate its own premise in a way that like made it really feel inessential to the moment out of step with the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also out of step to the moment, because like the villains of this story, at least as Jason Reitman tells it, is the press. Yeah. Like yeah. they are the ones who are like, because the movie, I do think sides with him that it's like, well, it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with Gary Hart's leadership. That's that I think is the point of view of the movie. But then like, but every the, once in a it's while, it's bad journalism on top of that. Like the movie does go to lengths, I think, <clears throat> to show that like the initial reporting on Gary Hart's affair was not even good reporting. And like, but it's well, still... there's a way to tell that story complicatedly. And Reitman, again, yeah. walks up to the edge of being able to tell it because he not only has the Miami Herald reporters who broke the story and were, you know, maybe a little bit quick to jump on the tabloid angle and were maybe, um, you know, their methods could be interrogated, right? Uh, were they yeah. were they chasing a story because it had, you know... Uh, sex appeal or where they're chasing a story because they thought it had actual pertinence. But he also introduces the Washington Post characters, the sort of the um the composite character played by Mabaduati and the uh Alfred Molina is Ben Bradley. Whenever you want to write a story about journalism in the 20th century, you gotta <laughs> cast somebody as a, as uh, Ben Bradley. Um and then uh Ari Grainer with her um business lady haircut what 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 what's that what's that how are we describing that wig that poor Ari Greener has to wear in this like um i don't I mean, know is it like holly hunter wig is it what is it it's like it's very it's very of its time it's very late 80s right it is sort of like maybe yeah, yeah. maybe like holly hunter broadcast news kind of a thing maybe that's it maybe that's what we're going for anyway they are there to uh sort of represent journalism that wants to do the right thing but we're in a changing world and 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 maybe we have to change with the times and like there was a way to to dramatize that conflictedness in a way that said anything there's a moment in here and i wrote it down because i was so struck by it where i think it's melina who's talking to the young reporter who is like, why does this matter? Like, this is this is this pertinent to the voters? Yada yada yada. And he goes, it's different now, and I don't understand why. Maybe that's J.K. Simmons who says that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. One of the you know old authority figures says that. And it's like, okay, but understanding why would have been a really interesting angle for this movie to like actually try and paint around the context of it and all, and just be like, why were things if this was a, such a sea change in the mm-hmm. way that we covered politics. Why? Don't just throw See, your hands up and like, say all of a sudden. One of my frustrations with it. the movie is that like it 
I, I, re- I, maybe it's just in the telling of the movie and the kind of limpness of it. I even like come out of this movie questioning if it was like, it, if the movie's not full of crap and like, you know, this wasn't the type of accusation put towards people before, or the type of like career killer uh, as it was. Like, I, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? It doesn't explain. It that. doesn't even make the case for it actually being the sea change moment, right? Like, not not convincingly enough to me. Like, I, I like that's what I mean. Like, I feel like if you can like make that case, like I'm here, I I'm interested. If you if you make that case, I will listen. Um, right. This is it's the rare movie where I watch it now and I'm like, this could have been an eight part documentary. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because we're so sick of those things now, and yet, like, I would have watched it because the interesting angle of the Gary Hart thing to me is, I don't know how you can tell this story without without also telling the Bill Clinton in 1992 story because I think that's. Right. That's the second act to this, which is for however, and like there are, I listened to the, uh, you're wrong about, about, uh, Gary Hart, the podcast you're wrong about that sort of covers these sort of, uh, stories and adds additional context, uh, f- from, you know, things that we may not have realized about these sort of like received truths from, mm-hmm. uh, politics and news and such and such. Um, and the, fact that the Republican sort of like uh, demon strategist Lee Atwater, the guy who did, who masterminded the Willie Horton ad that helped take down Dukakis in 88, um, was perhaps involved in the trumping up the Donna Rice story for to the degree to which uh, it might have been trumped up. But anyway, this is another frustrating thing about the movie. I know we're just kind of listing off complaints so far, but like nobody even gives a mention to the potentially like politically motivated side of spreading this information. Right. Like I think it's just maybe another thing that the movie takes for granted that like, yes, we already think, but like you also still have to tell a full story. Actually, um, why don't we do the plot description now and then I'll get into why I think it should have also covered the Clinton in 92 thing after this because. Well, then let's do that, shall we? Before we get too far into yeah. the episode. Yeah. Listeners, we are talking about The Front Runner, directed by Jason Reitman, uh, based on the book All the Truth is Out by Matt by, adapted by Matt by Jason Reitman and, uh, Hillary campaign manager strategist uh, Jay Carson uh, starring Hugh Jackman Vera Farmiga Sarah Paxson J.K. Simmons Alfred Molina Ari Grainer Mamadou Athi Mark O'Brien Molly Ephraim Alex Karpowski Caitlin Deaver sort of Kevin Pollock sort of Bill Burr and then a bunch of other Mm -hmm. people who you maybe vaguely kind of sort of recognize in small roles exactly once again the movie World premiere to Telluride, played TIFF, and then opened limited on Election Day 2018. Yes. Joe Reed, are you ready to give that 60-second plot description? Yeah, with the caveat that I'm not going to be able to motor mouth through this because I do have uh, uh, COVID and um, I'm not feeling super well. So if I try and do this too quickly, I'm just going to start coughing. And she got you, gal. Run. She got me, gal. Yeah, so. <clears throat> but yes, I will try. All right, then your 60-second plot description for The Front Runner starts now. Uh, Gary Hart was a senator from... Uh, 
Colorado with a good head of hair and the inside track on not only the Democratic nomination for president in 1988, but also to maybe defeat George H.W. Bush and get the Democrats back in the White House. But then he went on a boat trip with a rich friend of his, and he met Donna Rice, and soon enough, the Miami Herald is getting anonymous tips about infidelity. And since getting Hart to give the press a human interest angle for his candidacy is like pulling teeth, the press is zeroing in on his growing reputation as a womanizer. This all culminates in two Miami Herald reporters staking out Hart's townhouse in D.C. and sees Hart and Rice together. Uh, the reporters confront Hart about it, who tells tell tells them his personal life is off limits. But what's off limits in this changing world of ours? Who's to say? And suddenly, the questions of Hart's infidelity become the top story of the news. Hart remains indignant about it all. His wife Lee is wounded, but stays with him. And it seems like the campaign might be able to weather it in ten seconds. Then the Washington Post gets an anonymous package with photos of Hart with another woman, and they decide they're going to maybe go with it. And then Hart hugely biffs the question about. Uh, whether he's ever committed adultery and the writing's on the wall and he drops out of the campaign and George candidate, H.W. Bush... Candidate, that is your time. That is your time. We need all to right. move on to the other candidate. All right, all right. <laughs> like a debate, yes. you know? Yes, You You can't go over time. Listen, all I was going to say was the sliding doors of this truly is that if Gary Hart is never uh, knocked out of the 88 campaign, Dana Carvey's politi- uh, comedy career... Uh, suffers Dead. greatly because he's not able to do George H.W. Bush. What would he have done to make fun of Gary Hart? Well, I don't, he wouldn't have been the guy that SNL would have had play Gary Hart, is the thing. It would have been maybe Phil Hartman? Who plays Clinton? I bet you if I look no, on Phil SNL. No, Phil Hartman's not on that early, though. He is. Uh, hold on. In 88? I believe so. He gets on, he starts around that time. Um, I'm going to look on SNL Archive, though, because they have a list of impressions, and I bet you... Gary Hart, Gary Hart, Gary Hart, Gary Hart. They had to have at least done a bit once. Dennis Miller? Is that right? Good golly. What? Yeah. Uh, Fine. Let me double check and make sure. Yeah, the Democratic 1988 debate. Uh, Dana Carvey played Richard Gephardt. Carl Weathers played Jesse Jackson. I imagine he would have been the guest host that week. Um, Phil Hartman played Bruce Babbitt. John Lovitz played Michael Dukakis. He would go on to play Dukakis in a lot of the uh, political sketches. Dennis Miller played Gary Hart, and Kevin Nealon was Al Gore. So I can see, like, again, Gary, if, if your idea of Gary Hart is that sort of, like, again, like, politician with a good head of hair like in that cast you kind of have to cast him as dennis miller right you know what i mean like you're not (laughs) there's really nobody more appropriate in your cast to do it but that's uh, listen the wig team at snl is a hard-working crew of people they could have gotten somebody a good wig i imagine if gary hart is elected president in 1988 it does end up going to hartman just because like phil hartman's a better impressionist and would have probably found an angle on him and like Mm -hmm. doesn't look so dissimilar that like certainly more similar than dana carvey would have so well and if he also had some like womanizing reputation too phil hartman played played clinton very well yeah 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 yeah. phil hartman's clinton was very like so this was a very formative era of snl for me that was when i first started watching the show way world and uh the dana carvey george bush impressions and everything chris farley touched the the johnny carson uh, impressions right yeah and then farley came the the sort of farley sandler uh Mm -hmm. uh melanie hutzel um 
uh, who am I forgetting? There's just like that whole, that was my early SNL. And Phil Hartman's version of Bill Clinton is such a funny way of just like, it's, it's, uh, Daryl Hammond played the liar, Bill Clinton, and Phil Hartman played the sort of like, I can't believe we're, we find this guy so appealing sort of angle to it. It's just like, he's, you know, he's stopping in for McDonald's after jogging. Right. And he's, I remember the sketch where Dana Carvey was HW Bush after the election and uh, Dana Carvey's HW Bush, uh, crying. I'm a Jimmy Carter. I'm a Jimmy Carter. (laughs) And Phil Hartman just coming off so smooth in comparison to this, like, yeah bumbling baby slick willy right um so this is now that we're uh, talking about clinton so the thing about the the angle that the front runner tries to take on gary hart which is why we have now opened pandora's box and now every politician who tries to run for office now must be subjected to Everybody digging in, digging through their life to find some kind of sexual indiscretion, uh, uh, infidelity that would disqualify them. And is making the case that, which is a case that was made frequently throughout the Bill Clinton candidacy and then presidency, which is infidelity should not disqualify somebody from being a good public servant, which as a principle... I can get down with, right? Like we don't we wouldn't fire the president of a bank for cheating on his wife. You know what I mean? You wouldn't fire you wouldn't, you know, get a new doctor if you found out your doctor had an adulterous affair. But like by And, and by, like this isn't just necessarily sex scandals too, like with the Clinton thing and there's also the like I did not inhale, even though like I mean Right. Yeah. Those early Clinton scandals legitimate claims against Clinton, etc. Right. And they do exist. Right. The, well, and the fact that, like, but by 2018, the Clinton stuff had recontextualized into sexual harassment, like legitimate sexual harassment. Right. Paula Jones, Monica Lewinsky, all this other stuff. And that that begat things like John Edwards, whose political career mm-hmm. uh, fell apart, not just through infidelity, but through, like, fathering a child and, like, in general being exposed as like that's one where like infidelity really did expose somebody as being seemingly not a good guy you know what i mean in a way mm-hmm. that you wouldn't want to have that person making big political decisions and then that era then moves into the trump thing which was like legitimate sexual assault and by 2018 you there were no longer these quaint notions of just like, well, infidelity shouldn't disqualify. And it's like, y'all, we have moved so far beyond that question by now. Mm-hmm. So why? Well, and also in the case of Gary Hart, at least as the movie is portraying it, you know, this is what would you, a consensual polyamory, like him and sure. his wife having an understood agreement of every marriage you know, can, should be marriage. allowed to be different. The boundaries of all of that should be decided by the people within the marriage, not by the public. Right. Uh, but so I, on the interesting angle to take on this, if you wanted to make this claim that like, this was the day the music died, right? This was the day that like everything changed. 
is that pays off in 92 in a very specific way, which is an infidelity scandal took down the Democrats' best chance to take the White House in 88. And Gary Hart got knocked out because of the Donna Rice uh, allegations. And as a result, they had to run a candidate they maybe didn't want to run in Dukakis, and they got beat by George H.W. Bush, um, a singularly uncharismatic man, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so in 92, the Democrats were sort of determined and of course like Clinton was not the first choice for the for the Democrats seemingly in 92 either like that's a whole other discussion but like the Democrats were seemingly determined to not allow another sex scandal to take down a political candidate that could beat George H W Bush and so the Jennifer Flowers accusations came out and the Democrats instead of uh you know sort of like having Clinton walk away and, you know, suspend the campaign and we're going to, you know, try and run somebody else. They fought it. They fought back. They made the, they, you know, first of all, like denied everything, right? Like Clinton denied everything forever. It was a vast Republican conspiracy, all this sort of stuff. But also people started making the argument more forcefully that like this shouldn't, infidelity shouldn't disqualify somebody from running for office. And that, the Democrats sort of standing by Clinton and making it impossible for the Republican tactic of, you know, uncovering these, uh, you know, skeletons in Clinton's closet to get him out of that race, that then further galvanized the Republicans, right? And so they, you know, that they then were determined that they were never going to get beat by somebody like Clinton again and sort of the, the ever escalating whatever. And so if you want to make this argument that this all started at Gary Hart, I think you have to at least take it to where things went to in 92 and just sort of, you know, tell that mm-hmm. story, tell the story of this sort of escalating brinksmanship between these two parties over this idea that what had used to be this, this unspoken policy in DC of everybody's cheating on their wives and we're not going to say anything. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? I mean, like that gets brought up. Alfred, it's Alfred Molina, right? That's mm-hmm. like what we used to report it. They used to be like, now boys, there's going to, you're going to see a lot of women coming and going. Yeah. That We're LBJ, to- the LBJ quote, which reminded me of Tom Hanks in the post, right? Who mm-hmm. is also being like, you know, we used to, we used to be chummy with JFK and, and we used to look the other way and it was wrong to do that. Like the post sort of wrestles with that same morality, but does it in a more compelling way, a more interesting way and a way that much more forcefully ties things to current events and the front runner typical of what it does on all fronts, just sort of like brings it up and then sort of just like lets it sit there. And it doesn't work for me. Exactly. Like, it, it, nothing is really kind of developed or actively wrestled with it. And it's like, I don't want to get fully into Reitman just yet, because, like, I think one of the, one of the big things we haven't really talked about in terms of, like, why it might have also sunk, uh, Gary Hart beyond, like, the handling of his, uh, of this sex scandal, Mm -hmm. but also just him as a character in a movie, the aspect where he kind of just shut 
sits down and doesn't want to talk about it and like so demonstrably like you know his his rejection of talking about it as and saying how insignificant it is it's not just the way it's not just that as a tactic but also his demeanor when you know approaching that conversation gave people a perceived weakness it's not just the action it's also him as a communicator mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. kind of allowed <clears throat> You know, it, it made him crumble, basically, yeah. um, in a way that gave people a lot less confidence about him. And I don't think that the movie examines that as a political ramification enough. Mm-hmm. And I also think it it makes Gary Hart as a character, as frustrating as he was a political candidate in the like i'm i'm not going to reveal anything of myself yeah. you know in a way that like just doesn't work like that should make him a more interesting more mm-hmm. compelling character like if you're actually examining it then it ultimately well, does besides like, the post this movie made me think of two other movies most especially from the 1990s which were the American President and Primary mm-hmm. Colors, which both came out within a few years of each other, both incredibly influenced by the Clinton presidency. Um, and the American President has that same thing, where Michael Douglas is so forcefully like, my personal life shouldn't matter, who I date shouldn't matter, the American public should not care. And eventually, Martin Sheen and Michael J. Fox and everybody else in that finally gets through to him and just like, well, they do. And so <laughs> we need to do something about it because this I is the reality. I think Gary Hart is mentioned in that movie, right? Probably. Um, yeah. Because like that, you know, that was – and but again, that's, a, that's a, something you can do and you can dramatize in 1995. and. Right in a way that is more pertinent to that moment. I think too much has happened to be able to make a movie in 2018 the same way without furthering the discussion. And then with the primary colors thing, I mostly thought about that in it when we got to the scenes of Gary Hart and Lee Hart, uh, played by mm-hmm. Vera Farmiga, and her sort of, you know, what was their what was their relationship? What was the actual sort of sin being committed here? Was it, was it um, making her look like a fool in public? Was it bringing this attention to their doorstep? Was it getting the press to hound their daughter? Um, What, and, and in primary colors, that sort of reckoning that he has to have, Jack Stanton has to have with Susan Stanton, his wife played by Emma Thompson, um, to me is much more fascinating, compelling. It's trashier. Like everything about primary colors is trashier. This movie, the front runner, you know, is the classy version, but like I would much is rather it, watch though? primary because, colors. Because like it's the movie's so milk toast, I don't think you can call it lowbrow, highbrow. Anything. Well, I think it wants like, to take the high road. It doesn't want to take a lane. I feel like what this movie it wants to be like 
classy Sorkin. Yeah. Like, or, like, I thought a lot about Sorkin in this movie. I thought a lot about Robert Altman. Mm -hmm. And, like, I feel like the movie is trying to, you know, do West Wing in a Nashville kind of way. For as much as people shit on Sorkin, Sorkin would have made a much more interesting movie. And more people would have hated it, but more people would have actually loved it. He would have made a movie with an actual point of view, Mm -hmm. I would say that yeah i mean like i don't know if sorkin would make something out of gary hart that he hasn't already made right but like it would at least you know well he included have a point of view because like this movie you watch and it's like what's the fucking target here like what are what are you what's the actual goal rather than these maybe 15 different nebulous things that never really congeal on their own or pull together into an idea sorkin kind of did that in the west wing when he wrote in the uh, multiple sclerosis storyline with the president where that comes out in the second season and mm-hmm. a lot uh, for a lot of that angle is did the president have a responsibility to disclose this why would you know what what's the morality of that and again that was as a lot of things were in early west wing a way of writing around re- recontextualizing the clinton presidency to be um more defensible you know what i mean a more uh a clinton you could be proud of was sort of the conception of early west wing but it still at least brought up those questions of what what is actual pertinent actually pertinent to the voters what do what are they owed and what are they not owed are they owed everything are they owed complete you know peer into the bedroom transparency are they owed um, something more uh, vetted by a responsible journalist, you know, uh, whatever, uh, fifth estate kind of a thing. So, I don't know. I mean, my feeling with, like, and maybe it's not intentional that, you know, Reitman is gesturing towards those things. That's just, like, our frame of reference for, like, this type of, sure. you know, story, sure. this type of movie. But, like, it uh, I mean... We, we've done an episode on men, women, and children, which we both agree. You don't mean the, the movie. You mean just in general. We've done episodes on men, on women, and on children. Like, movies have, are about a lot. Uh, this podcast I mean, like, is for the parents and also the children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shut up. Uh, <laughs> that's what Jason Reitman said making that movie. Go, go ahead. Sorry. You were making your point. <laughs> and also the women. The women. And also the children, the children. All right. Um, listen, children, for your nerves. Uh, we did an episode on that movie. We both agree it's horrible. It's definitely his worst movie. I say that saying I have not seen his Ghostbusters movie, and I have a, less than zero interest in watching it. I would say um, even if his Ghostbusters movie is truly, truly terrible, there is no way that it is trying to say the things that men, women, and children are trying to say. And, like, that's what makes men, women, and children the worst. Is that, like, that sort of attempt at moralizing the internet generation in a way that is Not to, like, misuse sports metaphors, but men, women, and children isn't Jason Reitman punching above his weight class, Right. right? Like, it's... This, this I think, kind of exposes him... Yeah as being out of his depth in a way Mm -hmm. because it's so flat so not what he is good at doing and like 
I mean, his best movies have some bite to them. Even Tully, the same year, which I think is ultimately a very, you know, warm and tender movie, like, has some actual, like, teeth. Well, if you even want to, as I am sometimes tempted to do, sort of chalk up all of his Diablo Cody collaborations to Diablo Cody and sort of take take them away from Reitman. But, like, he still made Thank You for Smoking and wrote that screenplay on right. his own. And, like, that is a movie with some bite to it. I don't love... Other people have directed Diablo Cody, too. It's like... Right. I mean, and sometimes... Diablo Cody has directed Diablo yes. Cody scripts, and it's like, it... I. I don't know. I think that there is something that he is uniquely right for in her, in like delivering her point of view that like, honestly, like, you know, really highlights the writer that like, when he makes anything else a lot of the time, it's just and he's like, getting worse. it's not to what he's good at. <laughs> uh, absent from the Diablo Cody collaborations, he's, he's to me, and I think to a lot of people, getting worse. The the, the yes. run through from Thank You for Smoking to Up in the Air to Labor Day, Men, Women, and Children, The Front I Runner, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I don't love Up in the Air, but like Up in the Air is at least a better movie than Labor Day, Men, Women, and Children, The Front Runner, yeah, Ghostbusters. Yeah. Like it really does seem to be like moving ever further downward. I don't think here's. The thing about the front. I don't runner, think he's going to be making movies like this anymore. The front because like they kept making less and less money. Yeah. The front runner, with the exception of Men, Women, and Children, which didn't even make a million dollars, is his lowest grossing movie. He has a movie starring Hugh Jackman, and it made two million dollars. It's not as bad of a movie as Labor Day and Men, Women, and Children. Those are movies that are like to me ostentatiously bad. The front runner is a series of missed opportunities that ultimately declines at every turn to be a more interesting movie. And that is yeah. mm-hmm. maybe in a way worse, because at least Labor Day is going for something, and it ends up being embarrassing, but like at least it risks embarrassment. I think Jason Reitman probably thinks this movie is more interesting than we do. I Probably. I think it's... It's just not as interesting as it thinks it is. It's not as interesting in the way that it tells it yeah. as... It thinks it is. I think it's a little overconfident of a movie. And, like, I appreciate the, like, gentler touches that come in, like, capturing the performances. That, like, lingering shot that slowly zooms in on Vera Farmiga uh, on the payphone hearing from her daughter. And, like... Yeah. Like, the realization, like, that is the moment that the campaign is over. Well, you bring up Nashville in a way, and, like, Altman, in a way that I think uh it's because, like... There's there's a lot of things that this movie could have been, right? It could have been a movie about an idealistic campaign. It could have been a movie about uh, sort of changing standards in political reporting. It could have been a movie about Donna Rice, about how Donna Rice gets railroaded. There are a few fairly The best stuff effective... in the movie is the Donna Rice scene. That's the thing. It could have been a movie about a political marriage and the thoriness of that. It could have been a movie about a candidate who wanted to run for president and not reveal like where he grew up, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. to that degree. And so I think maybe from Reitman's perspective, he feels like by touching on all of these things, he's making a movie about all of these things. But to me as a viewer, I think he's making a movie about none of these things because he doesn't, he, that they only get sort of brushed upon and they don't get told. Complete agreement. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, I mean, I shouldn't say uh, Vera Farmiga. I think is quite good in this movie. In the like three, I was going to say she doesn't she get a has. whole lot of opportunity to be that good, but yeah. Um, but like I do, I do like the Donna Rice scenes quite a bit as well. And like that's when the movie feels like it's finally clicking into place. And then when you move into another seat, it's not like. Yeah. Even when we're describing the movie and describing all the problems of the movie, all we're talking about is Gary Hart. Mm-hmm. But like with a movie with this many characters and this many moving parts, you should be able to talk about those characters a l- much more than you're able to. They should have more of an impact on the movie than they do. Mm-hmm. I do like Mamadou Afi in this movie. Um, yeah. Star of Patty Cake Dollar Sign. Oh, I was wondering um, where I had seen him before. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, I I remember when he showed up in this movie. I was like, "That's the Patty Cake Dollar Sign actor. He was good in that movie." Yeah, and I think he's good in this. He's the closest thing that I think the movie comes to having an actual like character. Because, well, and like, he's a he's composite character conflicted. too. He's right. He and the Molly Ephraim character who plays the campaigner who has to Love sit down with Donna Rice. Like that scene with Molly mm-hmm. Ephraim and Sarah Paxton is Donna Rice. Sarah Paxton, Aquamarine herself, um, is uh, <laughs> Donna Rice. I thought the scene between the two of them is also, is like maybe, I think the strongest in the movie, but like the most interesting angle that the movie actually kind of locks into this whole idea, not only of we have Donna Rice, we're going to silo her, mm-hmm. but the person in the campaign who that suddenly becomes their job mm-hmm. to get information from isolate mm-hmm. and get chummy with this this woman they're about to hang out to dry yeah and she knows it and she can't be honest about it and she's a composite character uh Mm -hmm. irene and so i think it's telling as it often is in these movies that sort of you know find themselves a little bit handcuffed by having to tell a true story is these composite characters can be the most sort of free to be you and me kind of you know uh, mm-hmm. people so that that makes sense yeah well and i love that uh <clears throat> molly ephraim's character basically her last note is that scene that ultimately morphs into uh seeing that payphone call mm. where like her last note you can kind of tell that like she's still doing her job but she's kind of like let's fucking get real here yeah. like you she's she's at least the maybe one of the better people in this movie at like portraying an arc to their character that this movie is only so interested in right of like you know what she's had to do professionally and the moral implications of it yeah yeah uh this movie also sort of borrows a little bit from the Steven Soderbergh, the informant uh, tactic of I'm just going to cast a bunch of comedy people to play, in this case, journalists in a way that I hope will like zhuzh up something. And I think when Soderbergh does it, no jokes in this movie, when Soderbergh does it in the informant, it becomes almost like a joke in and of itself that like they're they're all playing these like non comedic characters. And yet it's like, you know, I I can't now I want to look up I uh, the with few exceptions self-aware Soderbergh castings are usually gold. Uh ex- rare exceptions being Seth MacFarlane um 
But, like, the informant has... The one that I always remember is, like, the one that really is, like, Joel McHale is playing an FBI agent. But, like, um, who the hell else? Patton Oswalt's in that movie. Scott Everybody Adsit. needs to get on board with putting Rita Wilson in their supporting actress ballot for Kimmy. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, Soderbergh cast the Smothers Brothers in his movie. You know what I mean? And so, so, so like, <laughs> that tells you something. And in this case, it's, like, it's Steve Zissis from um, the... Uh, I know him most from... Like Baghead, like the the uh, right. Duplass Swanberg uh, sort of oeuvre there. Bill Burr is one of the Miami Herald guys. Kevin Pollack is like the the editor in chief of the Miami Herald in like two scenes, and it's like where the hell is Kevin Pollack? Been? They're in the one scene where the editor is like sort of giving them their marching orders, and I'm like, why does this guy look familiar to me? I can't place him. And it was Mike Judge, you know what I mean? So it's just sort of like, right. It's like, oh, okay, I get what you're doing. Well, because doing. Mike Judge, we don't know what he looks like, but we know what he sounds like. Did you ever see that video that Mike Judge on camera does the Beavis voice? Yes. It it broke my fucking brain. Yeah. I'm going to try to find it again for our listeners, yeah. but it, it it does not compute. Something yeah. is, wires are not yeah. crossing. Yeah. It's great. Um, But again, like, it's, I don't think it... It's doing for for Reitman what it's doing for Soderbergh, and I do feel like there is, um, there's a degree to which every once in a while I feel like the film, like, because Reitman as a filmmaker doesn't have a super strong identity, even though he is a name brand and he's somebody we know. I think even beyond, you think even if he wasn't Ivan Reitman's son, by the, the after the movies that he's made. I think we would know him as a brand name, but we, he doesn't really have a strong identity. Every once in a while, the closest I think he comes is like, oh, I think he's maybe trying to be like Soderbergh. Up in the air always makes me feel that way, and maybe it's the Clooney of it all. But, like, there's, I don't know. There's some, every once in a while, I'll catch a little bit of a, uh aspiration towards uh, somebody like Soderbergh. And this little aspect of the front runner makes me think that as well. But there's not I mean, probably like the it. quintessential uh, Jason Reitman performer is the one who in this movie does at least seem to know from a scene to scene basis what the scene is about and like the message that each scene needs to convey is J.K. Simmons. J.K. Because Simmons. like J.K. Simmons is like if he's not in the movie, he's a voice on a phone yeah. in Jason Reitman. Well, movies. I'm glad you brought up J.K. Simmons because we do have some business to take care of. This is... Mr. Just Kidding Simmons. Yes. <laughs> it's our second Simmons episode in the last four weeks because we did uh, The Meddler a few weeks ago mm-hmm. with uh, our friend uh, Richard Lawson. And of course, J.K. Simmons there is playing a sentient push broom mustache. And um, uh, <laughs> we love him for it. Uh, so the front runner makes six for J.K. Simmons. J.K. Sixmans. He is our, our latest to join the the hallowed halls of the six timers club on this had oscar buzz after episodes on the gift i would challenge you or i to remember who he plays in the gift but he's definitely in the gift who the hell is he in the gift that's a really good question it's a really good question we did the gift a long time ago sam raimi's the gift yeah he's in rendition as uh some sort of cia 
person, sure. I imagine. Sure. He's in Men, Women, and Children. He's in Burn After Reading. He's in The Meddler. And now he's in The Front Runner. So that makes six. Six movies with J.K. Simmons. The consummate character actor before he won his uh, Academy Award. I think a lot of people probably, if you didn't watch Oz on HBO, which is like the most like featured, like he's like one of the stars of that show. He's terrifying. He's mostly maybe like, oh, he's like the shrink on Law and Order for all those years. Or he's someone's boss in something. Or he's, you know what I mean? He's very much like the consummate, like, that guy. And then Whiplash happened and, you know, people knew his name. He won an Academy Award. So anyway. One of those quintessential actors that I talk about all the time that it's like the first time they get nominated, they are absolutely just going to run the table worked, all season. He's worked with everybody. Suddenly they just get nominated for things. Yep. Uh, so we are going to do a six-timers quiz. I'm going to give you a six-timers quiz on the films that we have covered from one Mr. J.K. Simmons. So, Chris, are you ready? I am. All right, once again, The Gift. Rendition. Men, Women, and Children, Burn After Reading, The Meddler, The Front Runner. Listeners, feel free to play along. Which one of these movies is the longest? Rendition. Rendition. By the way, jury's out on how often i'm going to use the fiddler on the roof uh, <laughs> drop for this we'll see how it goes i could do it every time i could do it, just do it once listeners you'll know by the time you're listening to this which i've chosen so yes bump up a bump 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 rendition uh shortest the meddler nope burn after reading burn after reading at a sleek 96 minutes highest domestic box office total Oh God! These are all. Uh, is it? Is it rendition? It's not rendition. Burn after reading. Burn after reading takes it uh, fairly easily with sixty point three million at the domestic box office. Lowest domestic box office total. Men, women, and children. Men, women, and children with seven hundred and five thousand uh, dollars at the box office. Yes. Uh, highest Rotten Tomatoes score. Well, burn after reading actually didn't have a good score if i'm no burn after reading not burn after reading the gift not the gift the meddler the meddler at 85 percent there's justice in this world burn after reading was 78 on rotten tomatoes so uh yes there is justice in this world the meddler lowest rotten tomato score men women and children 33 percent. yes very good Quite generous. Which two of these movies were distributed by studios inside the Sony umbrella? Um, The Meddler, mm-hmm. Sony Classics, and The Front Runner. Indeed. Regular-ass Sony. Regular-ass Sony. All right. Which movie had cinematography by Dion Beebe? Rendition. Rendition. Which movie was released during Taurus season? Taurus season, so this is a spring release. Uh, is it The Meddler? It is The Meddler. Very good. The Meddler is uh, your Taurus queen. Uh, which is the only one that ended up on the National Board of Review Top 10 for that year? Oh, God. Burn After Reading? Burn After Reading. Correct. Yeah. Which are the only two where the director didn't write or co-write the screenplay? The Gift. Yes. Sam Raimi. Yep. And... Um, 
Did Jason Reitman do any script touches on men, women, and children? That's uh, no, it's it's rendition. It's Gavin Hood. Yeah, yeah Gavin not, Hood did not do not the screenplay, screenplay for rendition. Um, in fact, let me look up the gift screenplay was Billy Bob Thornton, of course, and Tom Epperson. Renditions uh, screenplay was by Kelly Sane. Reitman co-wrote Men, Women, and Children with Aaron Cressida Wilson. All right. What's next? What's next? What's next? Sorry. Uh, which is the only one of these movies that didn't play the Toronto International Film Festival? The No, Burn After Reading, because it would have opened during the festival. It played Toronto. It did. Okay, never mind. Uh, the Gift? The Gift, correct. Yes. Um, which one of these movies got an AARP Movies for Grownups Awards nomination for Best Supporting Actor? Um, Burn After Reading, it was Malkovich. Indeed, exactly right. Burn After Smart Reading for choice. John Malkovich. Excellent choice. Which of these movies received two Teen Choice Award nominations? The Gift. <laughs> not The Gift. No, not for Katie Holmes. Not for Katie Holmes. No. Rendition. Rendition. That's right, because we made fun of it. Jake Gyllenhaal and Reese Witherspoon, both nominated for Choice, Actor, and Actress in a Drama. All those teens going to rendition. Which is the only one of these movies not to feature a Best Actress Oscar winner? Um, the front runner. Exactly right. The front runner. The gift features Kate Blanchett and Hilary Swank. Rendition has Reese Witherspoon. Men, women, and children. Who's the Oscar winner there? Uh, well, the it's narrated by Emma Thompson. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Very good. Oh, there's not someone else in the cast. Not somebody else. Uh, should well, Jennifer Garner should have won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar for Gina, but that's neither here nor there. Hi, baby. Uh, Burn after reading, Frances McDormand, uh, the meddler, Susan Sarandon. Yes, very good. The front runner. Um, which two movies on this list feature stars of Elizabethtown? This is a question we did for the previous six timers. <laughs> Just trying to get Elizabeth Town into the six timers. Yeah, why not? Um, okay. Uh, well, the meddler, obviously. And uh, Judy Greer's in Men, Women, and Children, right? Very good. Judy Greer yeah. is in Men, Women, and Children. Uh, which two movies feature stars of The Giver? Um, rendition has Meryl. Yes. Um, is Taylor Swift in any of these movies? No. Um, well, Jeff Bridges is in none of these. Um, who else is in The Damn Giver? Is Marilyn another one of these movies? I, I've never seen The Giver. <laughs> okay. It, this, it's got a, is it men, women, and children for one of the teens or something? It's not, although that would have been a smart guess. This is somebody who played, I believe, somebody's mother in The Giver. Huh. Okay. Um, she was, I definitely remember she's in the trailer and people are like, oh, she's in this movie. Um, you previously erroneously thought this person might have been a Teen Choice nominee. Oh, Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes. From The Gift. From The Gift is in The Giver. Yes. The Gift and The Giver. She really, like, 
that's a full circle career for Katie Holmes. <laughs> she's in The Gift, and then she's in The Giver. <clears throat> Sounds like a Christmas movie. Which two movies feature stars of Dangerous Liaisons? Um, well, Burn After Reading has Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. And, okay, so Glenn Close is in none of these. There's Malkovich, Glenn Close, Uma Thurman, Michelle Pfeiffer. Keanu Reeves is in The Gift. There we go. The Gift, again, true to its title, keeps on giving. Which of these movies... Which of these movies was originally going to be titled the same thing that Lucy in the Sky was originally going to be titled? Pale Blue Dot is Men, Women, and Children. One of these days, we're going to get Pale Blue Dot. It's going to happen somewhere. (laughs) Um, Of which film did Peter Travers say, quote, A scolding sermon on the evils of the internet, Preacher Redacted won't be satisfied till we stomp our smartphones, L-O-L-W-T-F. Close men, point. women, and children. Men, women, children. It's obvious, but I just had to throw it out there. Peter it Travers. It's a bad movie for Peter Travers to not like it. Peter Travers revolving into text speak uh, by the end of that quote is just very funny to me. All right. Of which film did Rex Reed say, Hot off the headlines, this is one timely thriller that delivers its message with a huge punch and no heavy speechifying? Rendition. Rendition. He loved rendition. Of which film did Rex Reed say, this is a responsible, educated, sophisticated, and often deeply witty film about politics and journalistic responsibility in the tradition of all the president's men, the Post, and the Ides of March? The front runner. Yes. <sighs> Should Rex we re- recontextualize our discussion based on Rex Reed's high opinion of the front runner? No. God forbid Rex Reed ever listens to our podcast. He's just going to feel dragged uh, hither and yon by us. Um, you deserved it, Mr. Rex a million. <laughs> All right. Um, Rex it, Ralph. Not Rex it, Ralph. <laughs> okay. Um, what else to talk about? So let's talk about the reason why we're talking about this movie uh, at this Hugh moment. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Hucifer. Um, Hucifer. Mr. Huge Ackman. Huge Ackman. Okay. The. I mean, his nomination for Les Mis, a movie that I, I despise, like, was the most given thing that would happen. Like, of course, that's how he gets his Oscar nomination. He can't really seem to get arrested for anything else a lot of his other attempts like it's a real shame about bad education because hugh jackman is a performer who like is just outside the door of things that i would normally like i think if this movie was just a better movie a movie that like did more interesting things, I think he could give a more interesting performance. That said, I don't think he's bad in this movie. Do but you one feel year like... later... Sorry. Huh? No, no finish your point, because you're going to leave it. One year later, he comes out with Bad Education, which world premieres at that Toronto International Film Festival. If you're a movie that doesn't have distribution and has awards aims... It's not always Toronto is not always the friendliest place. There, it's worked before. Like the 
wife was held for a full year um, and got very, very close to winning Glenn Close an Oscar. Still Alice premiered there and really kind of uh, took the reins of what was seen as a very, very paltry Best Actress year. Mm -hmm. And they got, and they (laughs) basically did a qualifying release for that movie. It's hard to, you know, when you're a distributor that like you've locked your release plans for the year to throw a new movie in the mix and for it to do well. Mm -hmm. Uh, All that to say, Bad Education gets picked up by HBO and is even by Emmy standards, a complete also ran, and I think it's safely the best performance of Hugh Jackman's career. Well, we've talked about, at least I've talked about, why I feel like that movie was dead in the water from Emmy consideration, because we are in such an era of limited series that TV movies are just not considered, this is what, you know, this happened to the tale, this happens to... Now this era of, well, movies are being premiered on streaming services, they can just compete for Emmys. And I think there's a there's a false sense that is stemming from a decades-old conception of the Emmys that it will be easier for a movie star to win an Emmy if their movie premieres on television. And that's just not the environment we're in. Right now we are mm-hmm. in the golden age of the limited series, and there is no room at the inn for these people. Here's my question to you, though. Had... Had Bad Education opened in films or in Mm -hmm. theaters and played in the Oscar race, do you think he has a shot at getting a Best Actor nomination in 2019? The next, okay, so 2019. Give us that Best Actor lineup if we think that that's crackable. 2019 is Joker. Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, uh, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, um, Jonathan Price for the uh, the two Dose popes. popes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dose popes. Um, I'm trying to do this from memory, so uh, we'll see how I go. Let's see. 2019, DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Yeah. That's a hard lineup to probably crack. I mean, the one that you we could maybe guess would be because it's such a more minor performance in a minor movie would be Jonathan Price. Yeah. But like people really liked that movie. Um the 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 irony of bad education of course is had it been had like Warner Brothers bought it, right? Mm-hmm. Or or you know some had it been bought by a movie studio scheduled for release in the spring of 2020. And then once the pandemic happened and theaters closed, they then <laughs> like, you want that movie held for two years. No, 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 so no, 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 no. He can lose to Anthony Hopkins. No. But the movies that then had to change their plans and premiere on streaming right. were allowed to compete for the Oscars if that was a changed plan. Bad Education, because Bad Education doesn't premiere on HBO until April of 2020, so we're already yeah. in the pandemic. But because that was always the plan, that was an Emmys movie. Whereas, um, I'm trying to think of like other movies that year that were able to premiere on uh, streaming as a backup plan were sort of grandfathered into the Oscar race for 2020. And then I do feel like maybe 
in that special circumstance asterisky 2020 year maybe right right no 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 i i i completely i i completely see that logic and that's such a like uh like lack of movies type of thing that if it had it been eligible i think they could have made some type of case like i don't think you're wrong about the best performance of his career thing he's quite quite good in that yeah but it's still it's still not exactly the kind of movie that's in in vogue with the oscars these days right right it's contemporary it's 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 darkly comedic it's a dark performance too because he's not he's not a good guy but the movie i think is hesitant to position him exactly as a villain right and i think that's a very interesting mode to see hugh jackman who like i think as a screen presence isn't like relatable like people don't think of him like tom hanks you know where we have an emotional connection to him Mm. or like um and a like a parental type of figure you know he's not jimmy stewart you know for us like who is he he's like a i don't know and like it's a i almost kind of think it's a shame about the sun which is so abysmal because like i do think Hugh Jackman is best at playing these kind of complicated delusional sort of guys that you know their complexity their you know the darker parts of, you know, their psyche Mm -hmm. that he's good at playing, like kind of burying that and then having to bury, deal with the consequences of it. Yeah. And like, that's the kind of common thread of a lot of his good work. And I think it's a common thread that the the sun would share. It is, however, (laughs) a complete piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) And it's opening this week. I can't imagine how... I think if if this was a more competitive Best Actor year, he would be completely out of the conversation because the movie is so bad. The only person who I think emerges unscathed from it is Vanessa Kirby. Yeah, I still am not willing to count him out of the Oscar conversation just because that field is feeling very, very... Uh, shallow in terms of performances that again I made this argument when we talked about After Sun a few weeks ago that like it's insane that Paul Mescal is not a you know huge presence in that conversation for whatever reason mm-hmm. the performances that seem to be that things seem to be whittling down to uh, it's it's still among them because there's not a yeah. whole ton of them. but anyway I wanted to people ma- need to be talking up Bill Nye and Jeremy Pope that's all I'll say. <laughs> hundred percent i you you know i agree with you on both of those counts those are two deserving winners right there i uh, but I, uh, again it's also colin farrell who like yeah i do wonder if there is actual if there could be a real race there it could be it could be um you mentioned the lay Miz thing though and i want to sort of track his career from the first oscar nomination to lay Miz and like where where a second one could have even come from because he's in that stretch from 20, uh, 2012 through 2022, he's made, he's gone back to the Wolverine role four times with a fifth one on the way in Deadpool 3. 
setting all of those aside, because that does seem to me the like sort of, you know, the fallback, right? And there's a lot of like, kind of a lot of cameos, actually, where like, he's uh, plays King Arthur in one of the Night at the Museums. He's a voice on the phone, I want to say, in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Um, a voice cameo in Free Guy. And uh, anyway, we'll set those aside. So really, we're not dealing with a ton of actual movies. Prisoners is 2013, which I think is interesting mm-hmm. in that you look at Prisoners retroactively and we're like yeah he's trying real hard for it in that movie well and (laughs) but again it's in that thread that i'm talking about and there's it's not like prisoners is so out of the question of could have been a potential because like what's the qualitative difference between hugh jackman and prisoners and let's say sean penn and mystic river right not that much really um I mean, I I don't love that Sean Penn performance, but I can see how it's easy to say Sean Penn is significantly better than Hugh Jackman. I wouldn't I wouldn't dispute that, but what I'm saying is they're in the same ballpark in terms of type of role, uh, register of performance, right. yeah, subject matter of the movie. You know what I mean? Where it's like because I think a lot of people look at Prisoners and be like, Oscar voters weren't going to go for that movie. It's disturbing, and it's like. It's no more disturbing in a lot of ways than what Mystic River was about, you know what I mean? I mean, I also wonder if you release that movie in November instead of September, what happens to it? Who knows? You know? um, so then it's like, again, he plays Wolverine a couple of times. Uh, 2015, Chappie. 2015, <laughs> I even forgot about Chappie. Like, Wait, he's the, in Chappie and Real Steel. <laughs> he's in Chappie. Real Steel came before Les Mis, but yeah. Yes, but yes. I, I just... Put yes. those two and two together. 2015, he's percent. in Chappie and Pan in the same year, which is a year. Uh, top tier, this at Oscar Bill's episode. Um, yeah, I yeah, loved that Pan episode. 2016, he's in Eddie the Eagle, which, again, in Taren a world... Edgerton cinema. <laughs> that's true. Uh, Dexter Fletcher cinema. Um, in a world where somehow, and like weirder things have happened. Eddie the Eagle becomes a populist sort of like full Monty style, um, you know, Americans. Right. There there have been, you know, Michael Caine almost getting nominated for little voice, et cetera. Sure. In a world where that happens, Hugh Jackman is a supporting sort of like, you know, he's the coach in that, right? Like that's sort of the, you know, we've seen that kind of thing have success in another parallel universe. It just didn't for Eddie the Eagle. I'm going to send us to a darker timeline. I would actually posit um, something. Um, uh, Let's imagine an alternate reality where, you know, hell has taken over the earth. (laughs) The Cenobites have uh, gained control. Uh, They've gained control of the board of executives of AMC theaters. (laughs) This is what happened. Um, and the greatest showman is an immediate box well, office I was, success. Well, I was walking up to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Instead of, you know, a slow burn. The thing about that movie is it is a piece of shit, <laughs> but other pieces of shit have done well with the Oscars. I think there, I think that movie's reputation changes among, you know, 
uh, I, I think that I think that movie is perceived very differently from an awards standpoint if it succeeds right out the gate All instead right. of becoming this slow burn Tumblr esque late hit. Here's what I'm going to say about the Greatest Showman. Is it a good movie? No, not particularly. Uh, oh, it's a terrible movie. Is it good at staging some of its best numbers? I would say no, no for most of them, with one exception. <laughs> I do, f- but like, am I a fan of the uh, whole Pasek and Paul thing? Not really. Not really. And yet, as often happens with the whole Pasek and Paul thing, there are multiple songs from The Greatest Showman that I do think are bangers, <laughs> and I do listen to them on my own accord often. And I do feel like, at the very least, the Zac Efron Zendaya uh, Rewrite yes. the Stars number is actually well Rewrite started. the Stars and Never Enough should have been the original song. Rewrite the Stars, players. Never Enough, good in the movie. Um, uh, Zac Efron, good singer? Not particularly. <laughs> sure, but like, delivers the package on time. You know what I mean? Like, he's Federal yeah. Express in that way. Um, uh, uh, this is me from now on, done particularly well in the movie? No, and yet I'll watch both of those YouTubes from the like live, uh, uh, whatever, song performance that scored them the the money to make the movie, any day of the week, we'll watch all that. So, like, that's the thing with the Great Showman. Is it a movie that particularly likes audiences? <laughs> Not really. There's a whole critic that's like, audiences are fucking stupid. And yeah. then P.T. Barnum's like, yeah, they're stupid, but you can make them fucking happy. And uh, it's like, wait a minute. Who am I supposed to believe here? Everyone in this movie is telling me that audiences are stupid. This is a movie that hates the audience and is like, yeah, but we can trick them. The improbability of The Greatest Showman is honestly one of my favorite things. Just because, like, I just, I find it so delightful. The 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 less I like the movie, the more I find that all genuinely uh, kind of delightful. But so, you're Does not that wrong. Does mean Hugh Jackman is nominated for it? Probably not, but like maybe you get a costume nomination that way. Well, it was also the most deserved Golden Globe nomination in the history of Golden Globe Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy, because like, of course he should have gotten that nomination. Like, that was made for that. But the, so you're not wrong about your assessment of that. I think to put that even into a broader context, The Greatest Showman and Logan both happening in the same year. And again, I I don't like Logan. But Logan right. succeeded with the Oscars way more than you could have ever in your wildest dreamed. It got a like, goddamn screenplay nomination. Got a screenplay nomination. So what I'm saying is, I think there would have, there should have been a way to package Hugh Jackman's success in 2017. This should be the next level. This is. You know, right? Like that should have been, and all, and that, like walking up to the door of the front runner, being like, "Look at what he just gave you in 2017. He made you money. He was, you know, he he made, he made you, you money in two very different types of movies. He made he made you feel somehow improbably with the 17th go around with Wolverine. He made you take that movie seriously, and then he made." a bajillion dollars playing like an amoral huckster who sings, <laughs> uh, you know, 
2017 style musical theater, like 54 below caliber, uh, you know, whatever musical theater shit. All of that leading up to the front runner. That's a gift. That's a gift for an Oscar campaign, right? Yeah. If the front runner were in any way interesting, somebody should have been able to make hay with And that. I think looking into festival season, this is a lot of what the mindset was around this movie. Mm-hmm. And then because Gary Hart is this kind of limited character yeah. that gives Jackman not a ton to play and yeah. it not being a particularly interesting movie, it yeah. helped it die basically immediately. Yeah. And it's not like Jackman didn't work for it. He went to that Telluride and shook hands with all of the people who ooh and ah over seeing famous people on the street at a film festival. He was on the Actors' Roundtable that year. Talk to me about the about the Actors' Roundtable that year, Chris. Okay, this Actors' Roundtable, uh, hopeful, I swear to God, it's going to drop any day and people will be like, no, Twitter is good again, we can't leave. Um, we're going to get that Actress' Roundtable any second now all right any second it's coming by now this episode if it hasn't come yet like trust and believe i am beside myself you know does it usually wondering release... when my husband will be home from the war does it usually release around thanksgiving time is that usually it's november okay okay it's november right. okay but this actor's roundtable hugh jackman Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. That made me so sad to see. Uh, Richard E. Grant, Timothy Chalamet, Mahershala Ali, and Viggo Mortensen. It's a good roundtable. Double Green Book. Double Green Book. Uh, Timmy representing Beautiful Boy. Was that Beautiful Boy year? Yes, or was that... this is Beautiful Boy. Um, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Right. Chadwick Boseman for Black Panther. Interesting that only one eventual Best Actor nominee in the whole in the whole lineup and it's Vigo and it's Vigo making his own calzone but like I'm trying so like wait who were the other best actor nominees besides Rami Malek would have been just an odd addition to any round table and almost to the point where you almost want to see it but like (laughs) I don't know everybody would have just been very awkward he's just a weird guy it would have been it would have been his uh uh in, is it Mandarin Hotels, the one where <laughs> the ad where he's like, yes, Rami Malek at his most dead eyed, yes, and he's like, I'm a fan of old movies. I watched last fan night. My mom. How did I get there? I'm trying to remember how I got to my, as I often do, watching the end credits to Twilight Breaking Dawn Part Two. Um, Somehow, oh, something had led me to a So You Think You Can Dance clip where they did a a waltz to that song. And so I was like, well, now I have to go and watch the end credits to Twilight Breaking Dawn Part (laughs) 2, as I often do, um, because it's genuinely batshit and delightful. Um, In that, so it's like side character, side character, all these people, mostly people you don't really know. And then all of a sudden, like, and it's, and it's like, two or three people in a shot and then it's like name 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 sort of like floating on the screen and then just rami malik like literally looking as wild-eyed as you've ever seen him like talking to the butterflies or whatever and just in this shot mm-hmm. and it makes me laugh every single time i see it it's so funny the other best actor nominees that year were christian bale for vice bradley cooper doing no press for a star is born and willem dafoe for at Eternity's Gate. What was the deal with Bradley Cooper doing no press for A Star is Born? 
I mean, like... And we all got mad about it on his behalf when he didn't get nominated for... Wait, which one did he get snubbed for? Actor or director? He got he got the director. actor nomination, so he got snubbed for director. And we all got mad that about it on his behalf. was expected by that point, though. Was it? I thought it was kind of expected mm. that it, it was a it was a possibility that he wasn't because he did nothing for it. But like, why? Like that's he had that one profile. Was it in the New York Times? Yes. That like everybody. I mean, he he, he seemed just very press shy in it. Like it was a whole like talking point of the piece of how I, yeah. he was like very guarded. But like this movie was his baby. Like he like right. it it. it I want somebody to get to the bottom of that. Like, and by All that, that to I say, mean, I cannot wait for the maestro press cycle next year. It's going to be something, you know, something weird and crazy is going to so happen. I'm like, I, 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 I want to have fun, but like, I'm so like, uh, about this season that I'm like, give me my, <laughs> what is making you blah about this season? I don't know. I don't, care about or like a lot of the movies the i mean the brendan fraser thing is just making me be like let's just fucking get it over with i i I just yeah like i mean i want to see banshees again to see if i like i thought it was great loved it but like can i get excited about it as an awards player like oh interesting interesting that you I, i haven't found i haven't found my lane of advocacy and what i'm rooting for even if i know it's not gonna win yeah like i feel like what what's been exciting to me is so far outside this year you liked fablemans though i did see this is why i'm like your voice goes up in that like did i no i did i like that movie quite a bit it's very entertaining i can't wait to like you know take people to see that movie and like be excited for it yeah but like I guess maybe I'm already bracing for people to really take Spielberg for granted in the way that like, yeah. they always have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, saying that he's the second most nominated uh, living director behind Scorsese. You're so, going like, to be very annoyed. You're going to be very annoyed in the eventuality that everything, everywhere, all at once ends up like getting a the best, best director nomination. Well, for... or winning best picture. I. I think that's a really strong possibility that that movie is going to be a Best Picture winner. I do too. Um, it's a that's a movie that the things that I like about it I really really like, and then the things that I don't like about it I really don't like. Yeah, I really like. It. I'm happy for Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh is a stronger Best Actress possibility than Michelle Williams at this point. I think. Green I think at Fable this point, yes, opened. I think at I this think, point, I yes. think it's more likely between Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett than it is Michelle Williams and Kate. It's Blanchett. so funny that at Toronto we were both counting our money for this this bet that we've made, and. Sort of to the point where we were like, should we like exchange the money on the same day? Like, how funny <laughs> would that be? Should we, you know, start talking about what our further bets will be? And now I have only gotten more solidified in winning, and you have gotten the rug yeah. pulled out from under you. <laughs> I should give you the $50 for Colin Farrell yesterday. Well, like... let's let's wait till it's official, but um. Uh, yes. I do feel, I feel for you in that, like, it really felt like it was sewn up for you. And then Michelle was like, Chris doesn't need that money. I'm just going to go into Best Actress. No. (laughs) 
Oh boy. Um, we'll have, I'm sure we'll have some questions about it in the mailbag, so we shouldn't go too far down it. Um, There's probably other things I would be more annoyed about than everything everywhere winning best picture like i i have at least accepted with that movie that like i have my limitations with it but it's a movie that a lot of other people and a lot of smart people do really really like well and, and a lot of maybe people not for me. and a lot of people outside of like every year we always hear the same like there was a I'm not going to say the writer's name because I don't want to call people out, but there was like yet another piece very recently about like the Oscars need to be cool again and they need to be cool by nominating popular movies. And by popular, we mean movies that made hundreds of million dollars at the box office. Writers that have said the opposite before. So it's like, but also like popular movies are going to get nominated. Well, but also... Everything Everywhere All at Once is the definition of a popular movie. It is a movie that people... It's going to be the movie that's going to pull votes because of the people who want to support the theatrical experience. That's the movie they're going to vote for. The people who don't... Like, that is a movie that has... That got enthusiasm outside of the Oscar conversation. That is a movie that, like... That is a groundswell, actual enthusiasm... Like, there, the people who love that movie exist all over the spectrum, not just people like us who are, all like, super the into the Oscars. Too. And that's what, like, I, I find it absurd to lead into Oscar season with conversations of, here's why the Oscars are out of touch. When you are entering into an Oscar year where one of the frontrunners is an honest-to-God, like, populist hit. And mm-hmm. not what, engineered to be one too. What like, are we doing? Like I, I, I like. If, this is another reason why I don't want to like talk shit about the movie because I'm like I know it's just my thing, but like this is an actual. It's like an actual good thing happening. If that, you like, just want to movie... say that Top Gun Maverick should get a Best Picture nomination, at least just say that. I won't agree with you. I'll be more annoyed if Top Gun Maverick is a Best Picture nominee than that movie. It no, could, uh, my Everything ready. Everywhere one that is going to annoy me is if Jamie Lee Curtis is nominated for that movie. Like, Well, get ready for that Christ. as well. Um, I think both I of felt like she was well an active deterrent to that movie being good. I, I don't agree with you, but, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, but this is my, like... The arguments, whatever, this is, I feel like this is the 800th time I've talked about this, but like, the, 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 if you're going to have the conversation that the Oscars should nominate more popular things, you have to come at me with a, with a title. You can't just be like, they should nominate more popular things. If you're saying they should nominate Spider-Man, then say it. And then I can be like, no. If you're saying they should nominate popular movies all i'm going to do is come back at you with like a list of 20 movies that were popular that they did nominate so like or they're going to nominate so like i know that there's no quantifiable way for this but like a shit ton of people watch the power of the dog on netflix a sh- like even yeah. more people are gonna watch glass onion like yeah what do, what does popular even mean anymore there is no monoculture right. like uh... right. all right all right um, anything else you want to say about the frontrunner before we move into IMDb game? I we should talk about Vera. The phone acting sure. is so good. Okay. We already know that Vera is good at phone acting, <clears throat> but her two phone acting scenes, I think, are pretty good. Quite talk, good. Talk talk about that, because like I that to me kind of washed over me. Oh, the scene where she hears about it and like 
not only do we basically learn about the terms of their marriage when uh, Gary Hart over the phone tells his wife, this story is coming out, this happened. Mm -hmm. And it's not that what Vera Farmiga has to play and basically teach us as the audience is that this is, you know, the terms of their marriage. This is an accepted thing. But also... What she is afraid of is not losing her husband. I mean, uh, Lee Hart has since passed away after this movie, but they were married and together their whole life. And yeah. We can hope and assume they were very happy the whole time. Yes. But that she wasn't afraid of infidelity or that her marriage would be in jeopardy. She was afraid of public response and like her response, which is, I think fairly emotionally complex, but like fear for Miga has to play is I told you not to embarrass me. Right. Um, and I mean, like maybe we who, you know, don't have the full like traditional sense of like how marriages function. Right. Uh, aren't as surprised by that, but I do think it's a surprise for the audience. And I do think it's, you know, for a movie that has like, no element of surprise. I think it's, you know, yeah. a really impactful scene. I want to bring up the fact that if you don't want to have your political career end in scandal, you really shouldn't have a home in Troublesome Gulch, Colorado. Thank you for bringing this up, because I was like, that's like... Sometimes we craft the the instrument of our own demise subliminally, <laughs> and it's when we take up residence in troublesome Gulch, Colorado. Joe, famously born in Anxious Glug, Idaho. <laughs> um, I am from a Trepidation Batch, uh, North Dakota. Trepidation Valley, yeah. Um, yeah, all right. That's basically, that's all I got. Um, That's all I got. Would you like to explain to our listeners what the IMDb game is, maybe? Certainly. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's it. The IMTP game. Uh, are you giving or guessing first? I'll What's give. What's the coin toss in this political debate? <laughs> I'll give first. Um, my choice comes from, um, I believe this was, give me a second. Where did I, where was my uh, little, oh, right. Yes. So this performer was in. Jason Reitman's breakthrough film, Thank You for Smoking. We've already done, I believe, IMDb games on Aaron Eckhart and Katie Holmes. So I'm giving you uh, somebody who does have a film in this year's Oscar race. Is it Maria Bello? It is Miss Maria Bello. <laughs> Maria Bello could be a double nominee. No television, that. so no uh, ER or the remake of Prime Suspect, and uh, no voiceover either. Okay, Maria Bello, A History of Violence. <clears throat> Correct. Coyote Not nominated, ugly. but uh, almost. Coyote Ugly. Coyote Ugly, correct. She plays Lil. 
famously cooler. a lil. The cooler? Yes, correct. Three right, for three. I'm almost there. Mar- my brand would be getting a perfect score on Maria Bello, so I can't screw this up. Um, okay. There are options. However, thank you for smoking. I feel like she's high build in that, or she might get like an and or a with. Um, so I'm not against picking that. I just feel like I should have a backup to at least weigh it with so that I can hopefully get this perfect score. Wouldn't it be such a gag if the Woman King was on there already for her producing credit and her screenwriting credit? Um, I don't think it will be, though. Um, yeah, I'm just going to say thank you for smoking. It's not. I will tell you, ah, she is second build in Thank You for Smoking. Yeah. Robert Duvall is the and in Thank You for Smoking. Yeah. Okay, so it's a really condensed time for Maria Bello. Almost gets that nomination for The Cooler. Almost gets that nomination for uh, A History of Violence. They just didn't know what the hell they were doing with that campaign. Um, interesting for both of those movies is that like they both get supporting actor nominations that no one talks about. Um, yes. The Alec Baldwin nomination for The Cooler is always the one I forget from 2003. Like, reliably mm-hmm. so. Yes. And William Hurt is, like, the only not great thing in that movie. Um, okay. Maria Bello. What? She's Isn't she, like, the love interest in a sports movie? Uh there's also T. Well, you didn't say that there was TV. She's no done TV. TV. Yeah, no TV. Um, why am I struggling to come up with a title? Mm. Was it the hmm. fuck? Isn't she? What franchise is she in? She's randomly like a bureaucrat in like Olympus Has Fallen. Um, no. What am I thinking of? It. I keep like walking up to the door of a title and I can't come up with one because it's a lot of. There's some junk in there. Let me know when you want me to start throwing out hints. Oh, you can throw out hints, yeah. Give me uh, minor hints, but like not big ones. I kind of I doubt you've seen this movie. Is it for dudes? No, not not specifically. Hmm. Though it's not not specific. You know, not for dudes. It's just not just for dudes. It's for its intended dudes audience and... is not gendered. Got it. Is it its intended audience children? Uh, not children, but like it's a genre. The teens. That, it's a genre that can appeal to teens, although again, not exclusively. Oh, it's a su- it's a superhero movie. It is not. She's not oh. in a superhero movie, I don't think. Good for her. Unless you count, and I'm just going to reveal that it's not this. Unless you count, the unless Jane, you count Coyote, the Jane Austen book club is a superhero organization, and they are, of course, not. Oh, fuck. I should have guessed that. No, um, it's not that, though. I'm just going to guess this so that I can get the year of the Jane Austen Book Club. All right. It is not. It should be maybe the Jane Austen Book Club. The year is 2016. 
Oh, so it is recent. Wow, that's why I wasn't getting it. Um, 2016, what was she in that year that would have been for, like, teens? Is it... I'm, I'm guessing that it's some type of IP that is specifically teen-focused. No, I maybe... Get away from it's not the like the thing. Gem and the Holograms movie, is it? It's not. That was Juliette Lewis. Um, right. It's. I maybe led you astray by by making a thing of the teen thing. It's not a teen genre. It is a genre. It's a specific genre. It is one that I would imagine teens make up a lot of the in theater audience for horror movies. Yes. Okay. Horror movie from 2016, I'm guessing it's, like, very C-tier horror. You probably you won't remember it. it unless I, like, describe it for you. And, like, even then, like, I guarantee you probably didn't see it. And it's it. probably not franchise horror, so it's not, like, an Annabelle sequel. I feel like it made a decent amount of money and was, like, decently talked about for a little bit. And, like... That's my thing with a lot of horror movies. Like, in four years, people are going to be like, what is Smile? Um... It's sort of a hit on the level of Smile. Like, that's about uh, wait, the Wait, is it the Lights Out? It's Lights Out, yes. Yeah, because, yeah, I was going to guess Sinister if it wasn't that. I uh, haven't seen Lights Out, you are correct. Lights Out. Uh, She's, like, not even in the trailer for Lights Out. Written by the screenwriter. This was the same year. Uh, written by the screenwriter of Arrival. Lights Out. Oh, sure. Um, a movie Damn, I sorry, liked. sorry, Maria, that that took me so long. A movie that I liked and then got picked apart by discourse in a way that, like, everything in 2016 felt like it got picked apart by discourse, where people were like... Arrival? The mo- no, uh, Lights Out. Um, oh. Where, like, the movie promotes suicidal ideation, and I'm just like, not really. Like, <sighs> there's like, yes, you could look at it that way, but, like, ugh, God. Um... Anyway, I liked it. I liked Lights Out. That's uh, Teresa Palmer, who I like have like low key stand. If for it a was while. Teresa Palmer, I might have gotten because mm, <laughs> she's go. in the trailer. Uh, yeah, Maria Bello plays her mother. That's where a lot of the the uh, problematicness. Okay, Maria Bello though, her like the sports movie, by the way, where she plays a wife that you were thinking of. I think is McFarland USA, where she plays yes. Kevin Costner's the wife. running movie. She also, speaking of wives, plays Hugh Jackman's wife in Prisoners. We were talking all oh, that. Oh, God. She's the, I didn't even get that. <laughs> I always forget that. The people I remember from well, Prisoners. because the bench is so deep in Prisoners, too. And, like, Maria I, Bello gets the worst part in that movie. Abs- like, um, you, you say name a- eight actors from Prisoners. And I go, Gyllenhaal, Jackman, Dano, Leo, Viola Davis, Terrence Howard. And then I get to, uh, and then I get to Maria Bello, right. maybe. Aren't like, even the kids somebody? Like, maybe. Now? Like, it's also a teen child. No, but it's also. Oh, it's um, 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 he, the, Dylan the, Minette. the 13 Reasons Why kid. Dylan Minette. Dylan Minette. Yeah. Um, but it's also, though, um, uh, David Destmalchian, who, uh, is yeah. that creepy guy who shows up in, like, uh, um. Always a creepy guy. What was he in just recently, too? Playing, he was in The Batman, maybe? Or he's in the Dark Knight, something. He's conceivable. Um, yeah. Yes. So for you, yes, we talked a lot about how you felt this movie should have incorporated the Clinton uh, scandal as well. Yes. Uh, no surprise that you didn't mention this because no one watched it because partly no one really could figure out how to watch it. Impeachment. Uh, American Crime Story: Impeachment. I went into the cast of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I chose Edie Falco. Edie Falco. Partly as the type of uh, 
chaosery yeah. that there are three three television. television I was shows. gonna I was gonna I was wondering. So Sopranos definitely, Nurse Jackie definitely. Correct. Correct. What's her third television? Only one movie. What would be the one movie? Like, I can't imagine it's anything small like Sunshine State or Freedom Land. Um, oh, she's in Landline, but that's also really small and didn't really make much of an impact. Okay, third television. She's in Oz early in her career. She's in Law & Order Menendezes. I will throw you a bone and say she is only credited in four episodes of this TV show. Oh, God. Is it impeachment? It's not impeachment. Okay. Well, she's in more than four episodes of Oz. And she's in more than four episodes of Law and Order Menendez's. Four episodes of... Can we talk a little bit about how it is very strange that she is not on succession yet? She should absolutely be on succession. Oh, is it 30 Rock? It's 30 Rock! Wild! A pure guest performance. Edie Falco's known for. Playing Cece, the the, um, Democratic uh, Congresswoman girlfriend of Jack Donaghy. Did she win an Emmy for that, is my question. She was definitely nominated. Because that is probably why it is there. Probably. She was definitely nominated. She was nominated for one Emmy. Yeah. She's a very, very successful Emmy uh, uh, competitor, not surprisingly. Okay, so her one movie. One movie, you have one wrong guess. Huh. Okay. Um, I'm just going to say, because she did win at least a couple critics' awards for this, so I'm just going to say Sunshine State. It is Sunshine State. Is it? John Sales is Sunshine Sunshine State. State. Yeah. I do remember her being, like, part of the, like, critics' awards uh, conversation for that. Conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. All right, listeners, this is a much longer episode than I was expecting for the front runner, but yeah. that is the episode. If you want more of this at Oscar Buzz, you can check us out on Tumblr at this at oscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had, os- had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. You should also be sending us your questions through December 20th for our mailbag episode that will be dropping the day after Christmas. We will be your hangover episode. Um, you can email us at hadoscarbuzz at gmail.com. Yeah. Joe, where can the listeners find you? As of recording time, Twitter is still a thing that exists. And so, so long as that <laughs> uh, continues to be the case, I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. I'm also on Letterboxd at Joe Reed. Um, should something happen to Twitter, we're, we're, we'll have someplace else you can find us. We'll let you know right. when we know. Right. Um, uh, find us on Mastodon. Just send or... up like a smoke signal of some kind or like a bat signal up into the air. Our main posts for this podcast will be on LinkedIn. <laughs> 
We're going to re uh, restart Friendster That's and so just cool. so that we can let you know about uh, LinkedIn is one of is surely one of the worst. Did I tell you uh earlier this year that uh I found out someone made a fake fake LinkedIn of me that was like really? all pro Trump and I was like uh <laughs> delete this now LinkedIn. This is not me. Um, a pro Trump LinkedIn. What is the purpose and point of that also anybody who know, who has like ever heard three words out of my mouth or has knows who i am or has met me like i had obviously to obviously this is big i had to update my linkedin a few months ago so that i could try and find a, a source for an article i was writing and i was so annoyed at having to do that down on cinder blocks than get back on linkedin it was like oh and the last time i'd updated it was like literally i would i could i Jobs and jobs and jobs ago that I was that I was still using LinkedIn to ah. try and find a job. So, um, yeah, not there. Anyway, I should say I am currently still on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chrissy File. That is F E I L. If uh, what do we do next? Uh, we 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 thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, and then we thank Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Medias for giving us technical guidance when we need it. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So don't give us some good phone acting. Give us some good phone writing with a nice review on your little phone apps. Uh, that's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye.